Good morning. It's good to see you this morning and those watching online. Trust that you have had a good week. We're in the month of November. And so with the month of November, obviously talking about Christmas things with the children's ministry. And, and one of the things that we like to do for Thanksgiving is we uh, have a celebration. I know many people travel over the Thanksgiving weekend, but uh, we try to have a special Thanksgiving service here, which will be taking place in both the 9 a.m. and 10.30 service on the 26th. But we have a chili cook-off, and, and I can't remember, it's the third, fourth, or fifth annual chili kickoff somewhere in there. And uh, so if you're not familiar, if you're newer to the church, uh, we, we get together after the second service in the fellowship room, and uh, you can bring chili to be in the competition. You also can bring chili if, you know, you're humble and you know you would win, but uh, you don't want, don't want to take that honor away from someone else. You can just bring it, and there's, there'll be other things, people bringing sides and desserts. And then, but we all get to judge uh, and pick our favorite chili, and uh, then the one who gets the most little spoons in their thing is the winner and gets a beautiful, beautiful trophy that they get to proudly display at their house or wherever they would like to display it. And so it's a lot of fun. So I hope you will be here. I'm working on my secret recipe, and so I will, uh, maybe in a couple weeks I'll I'll give you a little hint, but I don't want to give too much of a hint because that may uh, you may cheat and try to steal my my recipe. So I can't give you too much of a hint. So if you are interested in being in the competition, you need to sign up for that. And also in the next couple of weeks, there will be signups for the different parts as far as helping out by bringing a dessert or a side. And I hope that you'll join us on the 26th of November as we uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. As we've been singing about that we are your children, we're children of God if we've put our faith and trust in you. Lord, we thank you for that, and as we look at your word this morning, may we uh, understand the principles that you have for us, and may we live differently because of those principles in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, when my brother graduated from college, and he's uh, five school years older than me, so I was a high schooler when he graduated from college, my parents decided that uh, we should have a really special dinner celebration for his graduation, and so we went out to this really fancy restaurant. And my mom had an ulterior motive because, you know, growing up in small town Montana, I wasn't refined, and I needed some refining. And my brother in college, he was part of the business association and leadership and stuff like that, and so he, he had done a lot of uh, different events, a little fancier, and, and he had learned all these etiquette rules and so my mom thought, boy, this would be a double, a, double, a double 
opportunity. One would be, you know, to honor my brother's graduation and then to teach his younger brother who needed help. So we went to this fancy restaurant, and, and the first thing I noticed when we sat down is I felt really bad for those people responsible for washing the dishes because, I mean, there were all kinds of silverware and plates and things like that, and, and, uh, and I had no idea. And then my mom had said, so, John, you know, you really need to learn more, and Jim's been involved in things, and so he's going to teach you some things tonight. I don't know if they had warned Jim beforehand or not. So we start this meal, and, and it's amazing. I mean, it was really good food. And, and we start, and Jim starts telling me how I have to do things, and you know, the forks from the outside in, and there's more than one glass, and all these different things. And you got to do all these different things, and we were going on, and you know, the soup, I couldn't just grab the bowl, and uh, you know, slurping was not allowed. You had to tip it away from you and dish out, and it's like, you can't even eat it this way. It's so hard. And so all these things that were going on, and we finally got to the main course, and they came in oval plates, or on oval plates. And my brother said, and I don't know if this is true or not. I, I think about, he was having a great time making me miserable. And so he could have just been pulling my leg. I, I have no idea. But he said, now, when you have food on an oval plate, you turn it, and I, I think he said, an eighth of a turn counterclockwise. I'm like, okay, this is enough. I, I, and I said out loud, no one is going to care if I turn my oval plate, and it's not going to make the food taste any different. And literally within about 20 seconds after I made that statement, a guy from a nearby table came over and talked to my mom and dad and said, you know, we noticed how your sons have such good etiquette. I just said, no one is going to care. No one notices. Of course, we started laughing because of what I had just said. And then we had to explain to the man and, and that uh, they were trying to teach me and I didn't think anyone would notice. But oftentimes in our life, we have sort of the same idea. No one is going to notice, but people do. And as we continue on in our study in the book of Titus, we see we've been talking, and if, you, if you've been here, we have our little uh, Jenga set up there talking about how we need to have a strong foundation and a blueprint for the church. And the book of Titus, Paul is writing this letter to, to a young pastor named Titus and, and people who were part of the churches on the island of Crete and sharing with them what the church needed to look like, God's plan for the church, how the church could be strong. And so we're continuing in that, and we see, and, and throughout the letter, Paul reminds Titus that people are watching. We're being watched. We can look at what he set up to this point. Through the, we're finished through chapter 1. We see that we're to have a belief that can be observed. People see that we are different. Titus was challenged to watch Paul's actions. Titus could follow Paul's example in verse 5 of chapter 1. 
They were to choose leaders who displayed godly conduct. They could watch the conduct of these men to see them as they were good examples of Jesus Christ. People could see that. And then as we looked at two weeks ago in in verses uh, 10 through 16, we talked about the false teachers, but in 16 specifically, it says that these false teachers' actions and attitudes would be exposed. Their ungodliness would become evident. It would be seen. And so here in the end of chapter 1, we saw that, that Paul was warning them about the false teachers. And Paul begins chapter 2 reminding Titus that in his ministry that this was to be a stark contrast to the false teachers of the end of chapter 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, but as for you. In other words, in contrast to these false teachers in the end of chapter 1, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And the idea of speak there, not only share verbally, but also live it out. And then he goes on here in chapter 2, as we talk about a model for discipleship, we see that, that Paul lays out and talks to different groups within the church. And characteristics that these groups are to display to help the church be strong and to help them to have a testimony for a watching world. These characteristics, and in chapter 2 he shares five different groups of people in the church. And the characteristics that they're to have that will create strength and growth in the church. Now, before we get into these different groups, there are several things that you need to be aware of as we look at each of the groups. Now, just a couple of the characteristics are are very specific to a smaller group, like, for instance, when it talks about wives, and obviously not everyone is going to be part of that group. But most of the characteristics are characteristics that, while he is pointing out to a certain group, need to be evident in all of our lives. So when you're not in your group, you can't just fall asleep this morning and say, well, this isn't my part. It's all things that we all need to do. And there are characteristics that are going to be easier and harder for each of us to exhibit. And a third thing is, is you may think that Paul is picking on you or on your group within the church but a reminder that each group has an important role to fulfill and each group may feel unfairly challenged. I say that because some of the things in in Paul's writing here are hard things, but they're important things. And so Paul says, listen, this is hard, but it's worth it. So let's look at the groups that Paul addresses here in Titus chapter 2. He begins with the older men. Titus 2.2 says that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Now, I don't know about you, my mind says I am not in this group. My body says I am. And uh, reality probably points to the fact that this is where I may fit. But but he shares some characteristics that the older men within the body of Christ are to live out. 
He talks about them being temperate, reverent, and sober, or self-controlled. Temperate, the idea of keeping things in balance. Reverent, or dignified, worthy of respect. And sober, oftentimes translated self-controlled, restrained and disciplined. So these first three characteristics in verse 2 for the older men to live out, and actually all of us should, exam- should uh, live these out. These first three to re- remind us to be in control and filled with grace. Now it's easier as we get older to lose filters in our lives. But Paul says we must remain controlled and gracious. And, and I want you to think through each of these groups, think of a, a movie or a TV show or a play or some sort of thing. It, it's amazing how oftentimes they fit the struggles that different people in these different stages of life have. For instance, you've all seen the movie Gracious Old Men, haven't you? Oh, whoops, that's not the name of it, is it? No. As, as we get older, sometimes we struggle in some of those areas. And he goes on and lists three specific areas that we are to be sound in. Sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. First of all, sound in faith, a confidence in God. We are to be confident in God. And it should be this, we should realize that experience in our lives as we get older have allowed us to see God's faithfulness through the years and that we can have confidence in Him in our current situation, our current circumstance. As I go along in years and I've seen God's faithfulness in situation after situation after situation, it should cause me to be able to trust Him in what I'm currently going through. Now, is that always the case? No. But these older men were challenged. Listen, as you are an example for those who are coming behind you, you need to be an example of faith. And you have seen God's faithfulness and live in response to that by living a life of faith, not only in your own life, but as an example for those who are coming behind. Sound in faith. Confidence in God. Sound in love. Able to love even when that love is not deserved. The term used here is the term Agape, the Greek word, unconditional love. It's love that's not based upon the merit of the one who is being loved. And these older men were challenged to pour their lives into those who were coming behind, whether they felt that those people were worthy of that love or not. And it's easy to get frustrated and look like, what are they thinking or are they thinking? And they're not worth the effort. But Paul is saying, listen, they are. And you need to have that unconditional love for those people. 
So sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. Which goes along with a spiritual maturity that leads to godly behavior. Now, patience is something we all need, no matter our stage of life. It's something that we all can struggle with. But it seems, at least in my life, as I get older, patience is harder. And maybe you don't feel that, but I think I can make a pretty good case. And I'll make it right now. Technology. All right? Now, for you younger people, you you need to listen carefully to this. Because when you're trying to help your parents or somebody that's older that may not be tech-savvy. Now, I know there are some older people who are very tech-savvy, but most of us aren't. And so, younger people, as you work with that older person who's not tech-savvy, you need to have patience. Because here is our mindset and our circumstance. You see, I didn't grow up with technology. In high school, I had typing class. A typewriter, you may be not familiar with it, but it's a thing that sits on the table or on the desk, and you go there. And and I was so excited when they came up with a thing where you could go back over and hit the key, and that white would come up, and it sort of erased my mistakes. That was like technology amazing. But what happens when I get into technology and I don't understand it, I lose my patience very rapidly. And as we get older, it's easy to be impatient. Now, it's easy for everyone, but it seems like especially Paul knew some of the struggles that these different groups of people were going to be facing. Patience. But this patience will lead to perseverance and a life that glorifies God. So the older men, temperate, reverence, sober, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. And when they did that, they would be different than the world around them, and they would be an example for others to follow. And then he comes to the second group, and I'm going to be a little more careful with this group since I'm not in this group, and that's the older women. Now, no one in this room is an older woman. Now, I almost skipped this whole part because of that. But I thought, you know, maybe you know someone. And I can't see the people who are watching online, so maybe one of the people who's watching online fits this category. So I thought, we better go ahead and cover it. So, for the benefit of others, let's cover what Paul says about the older women. Verses 3 in the beginning of verse 4. It says, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women. That term reverent, and you say, well, that was a term that was used for the older men. And again, oftentimes these characteristics, we all need to have them in our lives. But it's very interesting because the word for reverent here in verse 3 is different than the word that was translated reverent in verse 2. Now, it has a very similar meaning, but the term in verse 3 was a term that they would use for things that were set aside to be put in the temple. 
And I think it's an amazing picture. The fitting for the temple, these older women were to be these godly examples of holiness for the younger women to follow. They were holy. They were set apart to be placed in the temple. And others should notice their godly lives as an example to follow. And then Paul goes ahead, and you'll see throughout this, a lot of times it's in groupings of three. Not all the characteristics, but quite a few are in groupings of three. And we have another grouping of three, this time for the older women. And it says, not slanderers, not given to much wine, and teachers of good things. Not slanderers. Don't listen to or pass on demeaning words about others. Now, think of a sitcom or a movie that uh, has older women parts in that movie. What oftentimes are they known as? The gossip. Now, we all struggle with gossip. But it's interesting how Paul is, is pointing out areas where it may be just a little extra difficult. And when you have the godly characteristic instead of the ungodly characteristic, it stands out. And so they were not to be slanderers. They were not given to much wine, teachers of good things. These three work together to point to someone who demonstrates grace and kindness, not allowing pain or loneliness to create a life of bitterness. And as their own children grow and become independent, they continue to teach and pour their lives into their own children also, but into other young women because they're to be teachers of good things that they can admonish or encourage the young women. And so these older women, again, just like the older men, to be examples for those coming behind to follow. And then the young women... So I'm speaking to all the ladies here today. We see the young women in, in the end of verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 is a transition. It began by saying the older women to teach the younger women. And it goes on in verse 4 to say the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Notice some of the characteristics that are brought out here. They're to love their husbands and children. Again, it's that unconditional love that's poured into the lives of their family members. It's not based upon the worthiness of that husband or that child at the time, but yet that unconditional love as they pour themselves into their family, described in Proverbs 31, a great description of what that love looks like. To be discreet or sensible, the idea of having good judgment. They're controlled in their actions and wise in their choices. Others will see they use the term self-control. This is very similar to it, having wise and good judgment. And then another set of three, chaste, homemaker, and obedient to husband. Chaste, the idea of morally pure. And homemaker and obedient to husbands are two that our culture sort of struggles with. 
and you can probably take the sword out of there. All right? But God has family roles. And wives and mothers can set an amazing tone in a home as they live a godly life. And while that isn't their own responsibility and they may be working outside the home, that is a primary role that they have. To be that homemaker, that Proverbs 31 example. And the idea of obedience to their husbands, the idea of the role in the house, it has nothing to do with value. It has to do with role. And husbands and wives are to be a picture of God and the church. And then when those, that husband and wife live out their roles and live in a loving relationship as they honor each other, then as children are in the house, they see that godly picture. And there is such a positive role model, role models, both husband and wife. They see those positive role models. And God is glorified. And so we see these young women are challenged in their character. And then we come to the young men in verses 6 through 8. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. The young men. And again, picture a movie that has young men. Oftentimes, I heard that... uh, they said that a young man, man has half a brain. When you put two together, they equal a quarter. I remember my, my parents and others saying, John, what were you thinking? Now, the answer I should have got, because I tried to come up with an excuse, but the answer I should have given is I wasn't thinking. And so look at these characteristics that they talk about with the young men, that they be sober-minded or self-controlled. Rather than foolish and impulsive, they're to be filled with control. They're to be a pattern of good works. In other words, to display godly actions. And Paul is talking to Titus, who is a young man. He's a young pastor. And and in the middle here, you'll notice that, that he sort of changes how it's worded to be you. Saying, Titus... The young men need to have these characteristics and you as the leader need to demonstrate these characteristics as a a young pastor. You need to live them out so other young men around you will be challenged to live them out also. A pattern of good works. Maybe you're here and, and you're in high school where you live a life where the students around you see something different because you strive to live a godly life. You should stand out from the crowd. Be different. 
live out these characteristics. So the sober-minded or self-controlled pattern of good works. And then integrity and doctrine or pure doctrine. Following the directions of God's Word. As a young man, it's so easy to say, I'm going to do it my own way. And Paul's saying, listen, follow God's instructions. Live according to His principles, His pattern for your life. And then sound speech, godly and controlled talk. Speech that glorifies God and does not allow those who oppose to point a finger. And just like in the others, each of these groups should live lives where others who are enemies of the gospel can't point and say, see, look at that. And so Paul is saying, listen, as young men, have that sound speech and that good reputation. And we're all called to do that. And then he comes to the final group in verses 9 and 10, and that's the group of bond servants or slaves. And when we read of slaves in Scripture, we struggle because we realize that, that slavery is bad. And we're so grateful that in our nation we turn from slavery. But in that Roman culture, slavery was alive and well. In fact, I've seen estimates that say that 50% or maybe even more of the people living in that culture were slaves. And so a lot of those people that were in the churches there on the island of Crete lived out slavery. And so it was a healthy chunk of that church body, or there were multiple churches on the island in, the, in those, fam, those church families that were dealing with life as a slave. And I believe we can take it and look at it as an employee. And what were these bond servants, these slaves, to live out? Notice verses 9 and 10. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, that means stealing, uh, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Obedient. They were to follow the directions or the instructions of their master. And with that obedience, honoring, not talking back or being rebellious. And the idea, not only following the direction, but doing it with a good attitude. Oftentimes we may do the right thing, but we don't have a good attitude when we do it. And another thing you'll notice here is it's not dependent upon the master's goodness for some they were to do it in spite of their master and the same thing for us with a boss if you're in the workforce and you have a good box boss excuse me thank god regularly but if you don't it doesn't wipe the responsibility of fulfilling these characteristics out but I'm sure at one time or another in our lives, I'm guessing all of us have made this statement or something similar to it, but you don't know my boss. Guess what? It doesn't make a difference. We're to 
obey and honor those who are put in authority over us, whoever that authority may be. And then not stealing, stealing things or time. I think as an employee, one of the easiest things to steal is time. And loyal, trustworthy and reliable. Their master or boss could trust them to get the job done and to get it done well. And when the slave exhibited those characteristics, they stood out and it reflected well on God as we read there in the end of verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. In other words, you make God look good when you honor him by living out these characteristics. And in each and every one of these groups, we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And so we need to have this good reflection upon God. And then Paul reminds Titus of the effect that grace has in our lives, in each of these groups. We can title this last part of chapter 2, Grace and Godliness, verses 11 through 15. Listen to what Paul says. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one one despise you. So Paul is saying, listen, Titus, you need to share this with these people. Verse 15, you need to speak these words. Challenge yourself and others to live out these characteristics. And if you look in verses 11 through 13, and, and let me step back for a second. Verse 11 begins with the word for. So we see these characteristics of all these different groups of people that they're to have to, to honor God in their lives, and they do that to honor God. And then verse 11 says, for or because of the grace of God. Because what God has done for us, we should respond by living a godly life. And then he breaks it down in our relationship with God. And, and in theology class, we learn these three words, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And he really goes through those three here in verses 11, 12, and 13. And if you're not familiar with them, don't let them, over, uh, don't let them overwhelm you. They're, they're really simple when they're broken down. Justification, just as if I never sinned. In other words, God's gift of salvation has wiped away your sin. The penalty of sin is gone. Jesus Christ died for your sins, and we, in faith, trust him and his sacrifice for our sins. And so we are justified, just as if we never sinned. Our salvation, it's not by our works, but by God's grace. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. 
And so we see God's grace provides our salvation. But not only that, God's grace teaches us to live a godly life. We use the term sanctification. Sanctification literally means to be set apart. And now there's two aspects to that. The first one is we call it positional. God sets us apart as his children. We don't deserve it, but we're placed in God's family. Sanctified, set apart. But there's another aspect of it, and that means, and that's what we call practical sanctification. In our lives, we should be more like Jesus Christ. My goal today should be to be more like Christ in my actions and my attitudes than I was before. We call it discipleship, growing. We use different terms, but but the idea of becoming more Christ-like. And so in verse 12, God's grace teaches us to live a godly life, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. That's that idea of self-controlled. We should live self-controlled. We should live righteously, in other words, holy and godly in this present age. In my life today, am I living differently because of what Jesus Christ has done for me? Because of his grace, am I living my daily life differently? And then verse 13, God's grace reminds us of our hope. And that hope is an assured expectation. It's not just a chance. We hope our team wins today. Probably won't, but we hope they do. But our hope in God is something that we can count on. It's a guaranteed future promise. And so he says in verse 13... Looking for the blessed hope, that blessed assured promise, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God's grace in our justification or salvation, in our sanctification or growing in our godliness day by day, and glorification, our hope of eternity with God. We see all three of those areas, how God's grace affects them, and it changes our lives. And so throughout this section, Paul shares reasons it's important to demonstrate godly character. If you remember all the way back to the introduction to Titus in our first message, we talked about that godly or godliness is terms that are used quite often in this very short letter. Paul was challenging Titus and the people there on Crete to live godly lives. In great part because people are watching. And we see the reasons it's important to demonstrate this godly character that that throughout these verses have popped up. We see that we're to, give, to live godly lives to encourage others in verse 4. We're to live godly lives so the word of God will not be dishonored. Verse 5, we're to live godly lives to be a good example for others to follow. In verse 7, we live godly lives so opponents will not be able to put us in the gospel to shame. Verse 8, we're to live godly lives so that we adorn or positively reflect upon God. Verse 10. Just like Titus and the people of Crete, we are being watched. So the question is, who's watching? Well, 
three different groups of people that we see are watching. The cynic. The cynic is looking for opportunities to point out our failures. That's that person at work. If they know you're a Christian, if they know you're a Christ follower, they're waiting for you to slip up so they can say, see? The cynic. They can't wait for you to mess up. But also the seeker. The seeker is that person who's seeing if our lives match what we say in order to determine if we're worth following or what we believe is worth looking into. That's that person at work. They may not even say anything, but they know you're a Christian. And they're just watching. Say, yeah, they talk about this Jesus guy. But how is it changing their life, and is it worth me investigating or jumping in? Person in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever. And then the imitator, the person that's coming behind, the person that's looking to follow our example. Are we living out an example that's worth following? And you say, well, that's just for the older people. If you're younger today, it may be that classmate in school that's watching you and they've heard or, or maybe you shared that you're a Christ follower. And they're like, okay, yeah. I'd like to be more like them as they strive to be more like Christ. The cynic, the seeker, the imitator, we're being watched. Not necessarily if we're using the right fork, but if we're living a godly life. Now, as we close, I, I want to challenge you in this. If you look at this, this is a pretty hard portion of Scripture. As I look at some of these areas where I'm like, I really struggle in that, or I blew it in that yesterday, or maybe even this morning. And, and, and you can leave maybe being discouraged, saying, you know, I, I've blown it so many times. Why even try? Well, I want to encourage you, it's worth the effort. But it will be a continual battle. And I want to share another thing as I look at our church family, and we are not a perfect church. If you're a visitor, you will be able to find things where we mess up. But I am amazed at God's goodness in working through the people of this church. And, and so we talk about this, and I look at the different groups of people. And I look at the older generation in our church and the example that they set and the flexibility that they have when things change. That's another thing about getting older. It's hard to change, isn't it? But I watch, a, I watch the flexibility, and it's not always easy, but to see their grace as things change. Now, our message will never change. But sometimes other things change. And you are to be commended, older generation. And younger generation, I watch as you 
honor and show patience with the older generation. Sometimes when we get stuck in the mud as older generation, you can show grace, and I see that. So as I read this passage, I'm challenged, but I'm also encouraged. And I pray that you will be challenged and encouraged, and together as a family, we can impact our world for Jesus Christ by the way that we live, the way that we interact with each other, and the way that we represent God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that as Almighty God, you love us and you show us grace. Lord, help us to demonstrate the godly characteristics that, are, that Paul shares here in these verses, all based on the grace that we have because of Jesus Christ, your grace in our lives. And Lord, help us to live lives that demonstrate grace and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen.